0: Hello, welcome everyone in the room and everyone watching us remotely from other Norris Cotton Cancer Center uh, locations. It's a real pleasure to introduce uh, Jabe Bianchi, who is a physician scientist at um, Dana Faber Cancer Institute, and she actually was able to build a quite impressive CV during her training years. So she received her medical degree from the San Raffaele Medical School in Milana, Italy. And while she was a medical student, she was actively engaged in research in Roberta Sitia lab. And This research led to a first author paper in blood, which is like one of the major paper which established uh, the load and capacity hypothesis as the major mechanism which determines the high sensitivity of myelomas uh, to proteasome inhibitors. While studying and doing research in Italy, she was able to sneak to the US twice where she first did a, a, a fellowship with uh, Fred Goldberg so it's basically the same lab where I was she just missed me by a few months so I was already at Dartmouth when she was there and then she came back to Boston but this time went to Ken Anderson lab and what and it looks like she used this fellowship to establish like life career long association with this uh, myeloma group uh, at Dana-Farber after graduating from medical school, she did the research from a couple of months uh, back in Italy with Roberta Sitia. And then she came to do, uh, back to uh, Ken Anderson Lab. And while working in the lab, she worked on her boards and aced all three of them in her spare time. Uh, so with all her medical licensing in hand, she did residency at Mayo Clinic uh, where she was involved in uh, uh, clinical research with uh, Sheikh Kumar and Vince uh, Rajkumar, and then she returned to Dana Faber yet again uh, as a fellow in hematology oncology specializing in myeloma, and after completing her fellowship, she was often in her current position in of medicine and as a physician scientist involved both in patient care and in multiple myeloma research, and... Uh, that's actually, to me, it sounds like a fairly new story which has not been uh, yet uh, published. But before I yield this platform to Jada, I have to say a mandatory prayer, which is that she doesn't have any financial interests, she is not intended to discuss off-label and investigational uses of a product or device, And she is not receiving direct payment from any commercial entity with respect to this activity, although I am hoping that that she will receive a, a honorarium from the Arkansas Center. And for CME credit, Paola wants to let you know you have to use the activity code displayed outside the room after the presentation. Okay, it's all yours, Jada.
1: All right. Can everybody hear me? No. No. Thank so <laughs> thanks, Alexi, for the invitation to, to come here and meet all of you um, in Dartmouth and uh, the uh, honor to uh, listen and, uh, to the thesis of Sondra and her defense. Um, so I'm going to give you a break from Protosomes and ubiquitines and load uh, on the proteasome pathway, still sticking to multiple myeloma. And I would just like to share with you today some um, new data. This is all unpublished material of a project I've been working on uh, for the past uh, couple of years, investigating whether the Robo-1s two to pathways of any significance and interest in understanding the pathology and, uh, and pathogenesis of multiple myeloma. As Alexi already disclosed for me, I really don't have any financial interest uh, or anything to disclose as far as this talk. So, as far as clinical background, uh, multiple myeloma is a hematologic malignancy, and it's a cancer of terminally differentiated plasma cells. Um, Numbers tell us that it is a a, a relatively frequent cancer uh, in the hematologic malignancy world, more frequent than AML or ALL, accounting for about 30,000 cases uh, the past year in the United States, uh, about half of which led to death um, in the United States as well. The median age of diagnosis is 69, so it's a disease of the uh, six to seven decades of life and median overall survival overall is being accounted for about eight years all comers, uh, with a pocket of patients that we define as high risk patients who enjoy survival that is less than one or two years. So, uh, this is a makeover of a resting B lymphocyte into a, a plasma cells. Uh, so, as you can see here on the left side of the slide, is a resting B cells expressing a surface immunoglobulin. Uh, a terminally differentiated plasma cells look completely different. So this is a dramatic uh, reshaping of the cells to uh, uh, comply with the function of secreting huge amounts of uh, uh, monoclonal proteins. Uh, diagnostically multiple myeloma is defined by three criteria, um, more than 10% involvement by clonal plasma cells in the marrow patient, typically the presence of a monoclonal spike on SPAP, or UPEP, or in some cases just fragments of an intact immunoglobulin that we call free, free, free light chains, as well as the presence of end organ damage. In the hematologic world, is defined as CRAB criteria, C for hypercalcemia, R for renal failure, A for anemia, and B for bone disease. So what we have understood so far uh, about the pathogenesis of multiple myeloma is that there are intrinsic changes in the myeloma cells as well as extrinsic changes in the bone marrow microenvironment that contribute to the disease uh, pathogenesis, disease progression, resistance to therapy. Um, it is thought that um, the original scene, occurs at the level of the post-germinal B cells that acquire an initial mutation uh, during the somatic hypermutation process uh, that get then um, uh, propagated over time into different stages uh, of increasing malignant potential. So from MGAS to smoldering myeloma to active myeloma to the terminal phases of myeloma and leukemic phases when the cells are incredibly genomically unstable. Um, there is recognition that there are uh, genomic events at the base of myeloma uh, pathogenesis, but what I'm more interested in discussing with you today is the role of the bone marrow microenvironment in really supporting this pathogenic process. The bone marrow microenvironment is a big word that encompasses a number of cells as well as non-cellular elements that reside in the bone marrow and provide support for multiple myeloma uh, cell survival and growth. As you can see here in these slides, uh, many of the drugs that nowadays we use in clinics, uh, borthezomib or the image uh, components such as lenalidomide and Revlimid, they do not only target process that occur within the multiple myeloma cells. So in this case, the proteasome or cereblon targeting, but they're also uh, impacting the key support that myeloma cells derive from these bone marrow stroma elements, suggesting that targeting something The bridge that connects multiple myeloma with the bone marrow stroma is actually uh, an important approach therapeutically for myeloma. So the overall scientific goal of this project for me was to study another signaling pathway that could be promoting multiple myeloma pathogenesis in the context of the closed multiple myeloma bone marrow niche interaction. I decided to focus on the Robo-1's lead signaling pathway as a potential facilitator of myeloma genesis. So why is that? Why did I decide to pick on this pathway? There were a number of already published um, knowledge regarding the Robo-1 in oncogenesis. There was a report that expression of ROBO1, elevated expression at the mRNA level, was a poor prognostic factor in newly diagnosed multiple myeloma patients. This was work conducted by Shaughnessy uh, in Arkansas and published on Blood in 2006. The Robo-1 protein is involved in adhesion and chemotaxis, and more broadly in oncogenesis, particularly in solid malignancies. And finally, there was already preclinical work done on a radioconjugated conjugated blocking antibody of Robo-1 that has shown promising results in an animal model of solid malignancies. The aim when I started this project was to functionally validate whether Robo-1 was relevant in myeloma, to describe the phenotypes related to ROBO1 activation in myeloma, as well as identifying downstream signaling cascade and validate ROBO1 as a target uh, in myeloma. So who is Um, ROBO1? ROBO1 is a very large, about 180 kilodalton, single transmembrane passage type 1 protein. Um, It is characterized by repeats of immunoglobulins-like domain and fibronectin-like domain in the extracellular, uh, space, a single transmembrane domain, and then a, a rather um, un- poorly functional, let's say, cytosolic tail, that is really uh, non-structurally defined. Um, The only thing that is relevant in the cytosolic tail is that there are repeats of proline-riches domain, in particular, four repeats of proline-riches domain. For the biochemist in the audience, proline domains are incredibly sticky. So, Robo-1 is taught to signal by recruiting with these sticky elements in the cytosolic tail downstream signaling molecules, which then define the phenotype of activation of the pathway. The signaling, of course, when the ROBO1 proteins interact with its ligand, the slit family of proteins, which are also large uh, extracellular matrix protein. And the binding of ROBO1 to slit 2 is stabilized by heparan sulfate protoglycans, of which CD138, a well-known marker, Uh, for myeloma cells is one, suggesting that this may be really an interesting pathway to study in myeloma. If you look at the literature and trying to understand and get uh, an idea of what this pathway may be doing in myeloma, you get everything and the contrary of everything. So it seems to be very histotype specific, the effect of the engagement of sleet into Robo as far as phenotype. And as you can see in this slide, uh, there has been a report that this engagement induced decreased proliferation and cell motility versus increased proliferation and in cell motility. And so the field was very unclear as I started engaging into this process. What, is it, what it is established is that there is a Robo1 knockout mouse model that was developed in England uh, about at the end of the 1990, early 2000. Um, The mouse model had uh, homozygous exon 2 deletion, and these mice were perinatally lethal, so they would arrive to fully embryonic uh, development, but then shortly after birth, uh, almost universally, the mice would die from uh, bronchial epithelial hypoplasia and respiratory failure. The heterozygous mice, so the one that only had one exon uh, deleted, had an increased incidence of cancer, in particular lymphomas and carcinoma. And when these tumors were uh, enucleated from these mice, they found that the other allele, so the one allele that was wild type, was uh, typically epigenetically silenced, suggesting that the ROBO1 gene appeared to act as a straight uh, classical tumor suppressor gene with loss of, fun- loss of heterozygosity and uh, biolytic loss of function. So it was to my surprise when I started uh, looking at ROBO1 in myeloma that I actually found out that ROBO1 was very highly expressed in myeloma. Uh, in red, you can see here uh, a panel of commonly used multiple myeloma cell lines characterized by different cytogenetics, different immunoglobulin subtypes. Uh, but they generally express high level of proteins. And interestingly, they also express the ligand of the protein, so lead 2 I want to drive your attention to the panel in uh, blue down here. These are samples of normal bone marrow resident plasma cells obtained by, from normal donors or bone marrow donors. And as you can see here, normal plasma cells that reside in the bone marrow completely lack expression of both Robo1 and sleek two. Finally, in red. Uh, Beyond here, you can see one single sample of a patient that was newly diagnosed with myeloma that also appears to have expression of both the ligand and the transmembrane receptor. We expanded uh, a little bit the panel of primary patients by retrieving immunohistochemistries of healthy normal individual, MGAS patient, and myeloma patient, and perform immunohistochemistry staining for both Robo-1 and Sleet-2. And we found that the data that we had seen in Western blood holds steady action on immunohistochemistry with increased expression of both the Robo-1 protein, but particularly the slit 2 protein in the bone marrow of patients with myeloma compared to normal control. We then validated the data that had already been produced by the Shaughnessy lab um, by checking our own um, gene expression profiling panel on the IFM 170 database. This is a database that has uh, gene expression profiling of 170 patients newly diagnosed with myeloma, and what you can see here in these overall survival curves, is that the uh, patient that expressed uh, high level of ROBO1 here in uh, in red had uh, poor overall survival at a statistically significant level compared to patients that had low expression of the protein. So, just in that ROBO1 uh, expression portends a poor prognosis in myeloma. I then decided to check what happened in other hematologic malignancies, especially B-cell lineage malignancies, as far as ROBO1 expression. And what I found out is that uh, it seems that ROBO1 expression is restricted to late B-cell differentiation. Uh, these cell lines, the first two here in the lane, are Waldenström from macroglobulinemia, uh, which is a late B-cell indolent lymphoma. Uh, this is a, a strain of the large B-cell lymphoma as, this, uh, as the S D 10 as well. And then I had a number of other cell lines, uh, CLL, ALL, so on and so forth, leukemia. But as you can see here, the Robo-1 protein uh, is really heavily expressed only in, uh, in the late stage of B cell differentiation. I had the myeloma cell line here as a positive control, and I use as a positive control cells that are known to be high Robo-1 expressing cells. A neuroblastoma cell line, SHSY51, and HeLa cell, a cervical um, carcinoma, a cervical carcinoma cell line. So having established that the protein is highly expressed in myeloma cells, I ask myself, is this functionally relevant? So if you take away Robo-1 from myeloma cells, uh, does it have any consequence? And it does. Um, this is a Annexin 5 pi staining, so basically flow cytometry assessment of vitality and, uh, and survival of cells that were um, transfected with a lentiviral vector that would target uh, ROBO1. In the shades of red, you can see uh, the panel of myeloma cell lines that I showed you at the beginning, and they all tend to bottom down, meaning that these cells uh, are really non-viable, starting three days uh, post pyromycin selection, the cells, uh, the cell lines of myeloma, Uh, unequivocably die, and in fact it was impossible to establish long-term clones that had uh, continuous suppression of Robo-1. And I want to draw your attention to the fact that the blue cell lines with our other hematologic malignancy really didn't suffer very significantly from the loss of Robo-1. In particular, the two cell lines that I use as positive control, the high-robo-1 expressing cell lines, actually enjoy a better life without robo. And so you can see SHY5 here. There was a transient increase in survival when robo-1 was uh, was suppressed in this cell line compared to the cells that were transfected with scramble. This suggests that the mere expression of the protein is not predictive of functionality. So you really have to see and perturbate the expression of the protein to derive the conclusion that this is relevant for survival. At the bottom here, you see the Western blood that showed a nice knockdown uh, of the protein in the cell line uh, examined. So I wanted to functionally understand, actually, how this protein works and do uh, protein, um, protein structure function studies. So as I said, I, was, uh, uh, I couldn't establish long-term lentivirally transfected cells that had uh, knockdown, consistent knockdown Robo-1 so i resolved to uh, use crispr cas9 technology which is uh, a genome editing technology uh, developed between berkeley and mit and we're not going to get into that uh, and uh, to, uh, to, basically knock down, to basically knock out to basically knock out robo1 in my cell lines so what i did i designed a small guide rna against the robo1 protein i uh, performed molecular cloning and i had uh, three of the four actually guides that i designed sign that were properly inserted in the backbone vector and then tried uh, this uh, this vector, this transient transfection vector in 293 T cells as a proof of concept that this will actually uh, be working. Um, this is a, a plot for a flow cytometry sorting. So the vector contains Cas9 and a small guide RNA in a stoichiometric ratio through a 2A uh, linkage uh, in the DNA sequence tagged with the GFP proteins. So what I did, I uh, solved sorted cells for GFP expression. You can see the the plots down here. So I pick up the uh, top 5% of 293T cells that express the GFP. That means that they did contain the vector. And then I expanded these single-cell sorted uh, cells into colonies. And there are a number of clones. Each each lane here is a single clone that had uh, evidence on Western blot or biologic deletion of ROBO1, as you can see here. Uh, the Robo-1 indels in the Robo-1 gene were then confirmed with Sanger sequencing. So having established that this vector worked, I then uh, went on to try in a panel of multiple myeloma cell lines, which are really not very happily transfected and didn't really survive very well the single cell sorting. However, uh, by trying a number of cells, I managed to establish one, these OPM2 cell lines, which is a high Robo-1 expressing cell line that got transfected quite efficiently. I sorted again the GFP positive population and managed to establish a clone with each of the single guide RNA I used uh, uh, were biolytic knockout for Robo1. And again, these were Sanger sequenced and confirmed that indels were present in the Robo1 gene. I wanna draw your attention to the fact that Sleet2 protein expression is really not modified. So the ligand expression in these cells is not modified by the knockout of the Robo1 gene. I used uh, then for further experiment uh, the guide 2 and 3 because of their higher specificity and dropped the guide 0. So as I said, protein structure function, was what I wanted really to do. So having established cells that lock the um, protein expression level, Robo1, I designed a number of vectors that would express the full-length protein, the protein devoid of the cytosolic domain, or a protein that is devoid of the extracellular domain, uh, all tagged with a triple flag. And then re-express this protein back in my knockout. As you can see here in this blot, it compares the expression of ROBO1 in wild-type cells versus knockout, versus the one that were lentivirally transfected with the full length, delta cytosol and cytosolic form. Um, And here is the flag, uh, anti-flag, Western blot that showed the expression of the add-back proteins in the knockout cells. So at this point, I had a system and I had tools, and so I wanted to see what would happen if I play with them. So first experiment was not very exciting, was it? Um, so I didn't put p-value here. I think everybody would trust that there is no statistical significance difference between these curves. Um, so if you plate Robo1 cells, uh, if you play OPM2 cells that have Robo1, what type? That don't have Robo1, or they have any of the add-back into a 96-well, you do BRD proliferation assay, you really don't see any difference are viable, they're happy, they proliferate normally, and it's really not very exciting data. However, uh, if you plate them again, in 96 well plate, but at this time you plate a layer of bone marrow stroma cells derived from patients, and you provide them with somewhat that resemble the uh, bone marrow space, uh, you can see that now you start to see differences that I haven't yet quite uh, completely de-convoluted, But as you can see here, the wild type cells uh, have an induction of proliferation just by virtue of being uh, plugged in on top of a stroma layer. The knockout cells, they don't get the same uh, push at proliferation when they are co cultured with the stroma system as the wild type cells. My full-length at back didn't quite recover completely compared to the uh, wild type, so there was still some difference as far as their proliferation, which is possibly related to the fact that uh, the protein expression level is not quite as strong as the wild type. But definitely, uh, the cells that lack uh, that re-express ROBO1, either devoid of the cytosolic domain or devoid of the extracellular domain, has significant impairment in their capability of proliferating upon. Uh, co-culture with the bone marrow stroma system, which is an interesting data and I have my hypothesis on it and we can chat later on. Um, about this. So beyond viability and proliferation, the other uh, phenotype I was interested in looking at would be, uh, was cytoskeletal rearrangement. As I told you, Robo-1 has been involved uh, and has been advocated as a molecule relevant for chemotaxis and adhesion. And this was just an immunohistochemistry staining performed against uh, Robo-1, the upper panel in green and beta-actin. This is a phalloidin stain. In uh, resting, wild-type mm ones cells versus cells that were treated with excess has leaked so providing exogenous ligand for the Robo-1 pathway. And as you can see here, if you look at the, at the stain below, uh, the resting uh, myeloma cells are nice and brown, but when you give them extra slit, um, they produce photocytes. So they get activated, the cytoskeletal arrangements, uh, rearrangements, suggesting that if you engage the pathway, the cells uh, maybe become mobile and chemotaxis and adhesion may be altered. So having established that, I perform uh, adhesion assay uh, using the wild-type cells in blue as well as the knockout cells, the columns that are in red and green against a number of substrate. BME-C60 and uh, TRHBMEC. these are human-derived bone marrow endothelial cells. The last two um, conditions are multiple myeloma patient-derived bone marrow stroma cells, and what you can see here is that the knockout of the Robo1 protein impairs the ability of these cells to adhere to this substrate. So they don't adhere very efficiently to endothelium or stroma cells. So um, now that may suggest that this is mediated through Robo, however, it is not. Um, it is not proven unless you demonstrate that if you give Robo1 back, then you recover the phenotype, and that you rescue this adhesion defect. And so that was the next experiment. I compared the knockout cells in blue, and here you can see their adhesion level against endothelium, and um, I decided to arbitrarily call this one. When you use cells that have re-expression of Robo-1, they have significantly better adhesion to the endothelium compared to the knockout. So how do they compare with the wild type? Well, they compare equally. So uh, if you uh, compare wild type, knockout, and knockout plus full length addback, back, you can see that uh, the full length addback back uh, completely uh, rescue the adhesion defect related to the Robo-1 knockout. Um, The other thing that I um, wanted to look at with this experiment was what if I block the CD138 stabilization of the complex uh, by simply using heparin, which is an an inhibitor of a heparin sulfate protoglyphans. Well, if you do that, something really nice happens, which is that you completely ablate the capability of cells to adhere to the endothelium in the presence of heparin. Uh, This suggests that the adhesion of cells to um, the bone marrow endothelial cells is mediated by O1 and necessitate the presence of heparin sulfate protoglycans. So all these experiments were performed in vitro. I think we all agree that it's nice to have in vivo data and to model a pathway in an in vivo model. So I decided to use uh, this animal model that was developed by uh, Michael Ligarin-Gobriel at the Dana-Farber. This model entails the harvesting of femurs from donor skid mice, the intramedullary injection of cells of whatever kind you want, that you want to investigate, And then the uh, heterotopic transplantation under the skin of the dorsum, in recipient mice that are syngenic. These mice are then followed over time for tumor growth at the sites of these bone implants as well as tumor dissemination. And before sacrificing the mice, I performed PET-CT studies in the animal to see what was the tumor dissemination as well as pattern of growth. So these are the scout CT images of the mice that were in the cohort of this initial experiment. So I had uh, eight wild-type mice, each one with two implants per side, except one mouse that only got one. Same goes for the knockout knockout cohort. So eight mice, two implants per mouse, except one mouse that had one single implant. And you can already see on the scout images of. Of these animals, how uh, big you know the tumor growth in the wild-type animals, and how the tumor grows significantly less in the knockout, particularly with some animals that develop no tumor at all, just by virtue of not having Robo1. So when you actually analyze the data and look at what happened number by number, uh, the Robo1 knockout animals or the knockout cells, tumors derived from Robo1 knockout cells had a um, a quite remarkable impairment or failure to engraft in the bone graft compared to the wild-type animals. This was not statistical significance. In talking with my biostatistician, they're pretty sure it is. I just need to have more mice. Uh, so anyway, so this was the data. So one out of uh, one out of three uh, tumor didn't engraft. The other data was if you only consider the tumor that had engrafted and you measure the volume based on the CT volumetric planning, you can see that the wild-type tumors grow uh, rather large. And there was a statistical significance difference in the size of the tumors uh, that had the ROBO1 proteins versus the one that didn't. And harvesting this was clear uh, when you compare ROBO1 wild-type versus knockout tumors. So as far as summary so far, which is really what the summary is, um, I have shown you that both ROBO1 and slit 2 are highly expressed in myeloma, but non-normal bone marrow resin plasma cells. That the silencing of ROBO1 via SHRNA is specifically cytotoxic for myeloma, but really spares most of other uh, hematologic malignancy cell lines. The Robo-1 biallelic knockout uh, myeloma cells have an addition effect, and in vivo, Robo-1 knockout tumors have a growth uh, and engraftment failure. So where am I going from here on, and what are the future direction? Um, there are twofold. So as far as the in vitro part of the studies, or the protein fr- structure function, What I'm interested in understanding is how does this pathway mediate this phenotype? So, who are the interacting partners of Robo1 that are necessary uh, to come up with this phenotype of growth failure and adhesion defect? And the second is more of a um, pathogenesis type of question, which is: Is the Robo1 in overexpression? to drive multiple myeloma. The overall goal of both these um, uh, this investigation is really to establish um, novel therapeutic targets uh, for treatment of multiple myeloma patients. So a question that I get asked a lot is, uh, well, you had cell lines and they express very high Robo-1, so why didn't you just do a pull down of Robo-1 and then you know, do whatever you want, co-IP or mass and just, uh, the convolute which are the interacting partners of Robo. So, this is the reason. The beauty of this blot is the reason. Uh, so this was an IP uh, that I perform in one of many cell lines that I tried that express high level of ROBO1. This is a control IgG pull down. This is a ROBO1 pull down. And then it's a Western against ROBO1. So as you can see here, I mean, the IP work, right? So I do see ROBO1 here. The problem is the rest of the stuff that I see. And so this is an incredibly sticky, both extracellular and intracellular domain protein that pulls down a lot of things that are really not uh, necessarily specific for its activation and its pathway. So look at this, what a beauty. Uh, so this was a flag IP that I performed in the knockout cells versus the cells that had Robo One flagged. And this took away a lot of uh, dirty and, uh, and really improved my signal to noise ratio. So Where I'm at right now is that um, I had done IP flag pull-down in uh, OPM2 that have the add-back full-length Robo-1, and the OPM2 that do not have the add-back, and they're knockout, and this is my... um, Silver staining gel. You can see here in red, I point at the Robo1 band that is visible here. So these, these gels have been submitted to MASPEC, and so I'm just waiting to have them return with hits uh, to uh, try to figure it out which are the interacting partners for uh, Robo1 in myeloma. Uh, following which, I will co IP validate the interacting partners and then do functional study to see the rescue phenotype. So what are the problems with this approach? Uh, I can foresee 2 one is that I get too many hits. Uh, it, it is a possibility, as I said, uh, this protein has uh, sticky domains, and so there may be a specific binding to both uh, sides of the protein. Uh, I have already designed the delta cytosine and cytosolic at back, uh, which I can use as negative and positive control for specific interaction with the cytosolic domain of the protein, which is what I wanna focus on. The alternative issue is that I have no hits, uh, in which case it may be that the pathway is not engaged and a baseline, it just is not activated, so you have to give a stimulus with extra uh, SLEE2, uh, or there is insufficient sensitivity of the mass pad uh, to resolve the interacting partner, in which case I would do co IP of candidate interactors. The second uh, part of the story is, uh, so if you overexpress ROBO1, is this sufficient uh, to drive multiple myeloma pathogenesis? Uh, So in order to respond to this question, I have designed um, a conditional ROBO1 transgenic mouse, which has overexpression of ROBO1 only in the post-germinal center B cells. So why this strategy, rather than just drive Robo-1 everywhere, which would be much simpler. Um, The problem is that mouse study that I show you at the beginning, you know, so uh, it is unclear, you know, what may happen if you drive Robo-1 everywhere in the mouse. So uh, we know instead that B-cell evolution in the embryogenic mouse has really no importance. So if cells if B cells don't develop during embryogenesis in mice, they are totally fine. So for me, this was a, a strategy: is to make sure that the mice will be, vi- you know, viable, and that I could only investigate as far as uh, post germinal centered B cells. So to do this, I, I have designed uh, a transgene vector that has the Robo1 um, musculos CDNA, Preceded at the 5 prime by a stop codon that is encased between loxP sites, Um, the uh, flanking region of these uh, transgene vectors have uh, direct site recombination with the collagenase A gene in the mouse, which is a safe harbor for integration of uh, of transgenes, as well as a site that we know from prior studies has significant drive for uh, expression of a transgene. So I'm in the process of uh, doing knock-in in uh, in, uh, in stem cells of uh, of black six mice. And then uh, once a heterozygous transgene mouse uh, has been identified, I will cross that with an ICDA cream mouse. The ICDA uh, is an IID promoter, and it's a promoter that is considered Relatively specific, not 100%, but generally the best promoter that we know of that would target post-germinal center B cells and not any stage of earlier B cell differentiation. So this is the, the schema. So Robo-1 heterozygous uh, transgene mice uh, cross with the ICD-3 mice uh, to give an, uh, the Robo-1 transgene under the icd promoter. And, uh, and then these mice will be followed uh, serially with blood sampling, uh, as well as PEP to detect uh, any uh, early signs of uh, myeloma genesis. So, I foresee pitfalls of these strategies. Uh, one is that they may not develop myeloma, and so there may be no disease penetrance. Uh, so, the possible explanation is that the, the transgene, so the mere overexpression of Robo1 may be not sufficient to drive myeloma. Uh, in which case um, I envision crossing these mice with a model that I know already has myeloma, like the VK-mic mouse, and just look for acceleration of disease. The alternative uh, strategy is just to accept that the Robo-1 overexpression per se is not sufficient in the absence of any other genetic manipulation to cause myeloma. Another potential pitfall is that these mice may not develop myeloma, but something else, uh, something like an earlier stage B cell lymphoma, and that uh, will make us think that the promoter may be leaky in earlier stage of B cell maturation. In which case, uh, different promoter may be tried, and BLIMP1 uh, is a well recognized B cell uh, promoter that uh, may be an alternative strategies. Finally, you know, a transgenic mouse model, especially fine vision crossing them with another mouse model, is a pretty lengthy process. So, I have designed and developed an alternative strategy that it's quite quicker than, uh, than this one, which uh, uh, entails the use of the 5TGM1 uh, mouse model. Um, we have in the laboratory this murine cell line, uh, 5TGM1. Uh, cell line that is RFP and luciferase positive, uh, which is a cell line that has been established by this strain of Black 6 mice, which I dare not to pronounce, uh, that develop spontaneously myeloma upon aging. Uh, So from these mice that develop spontaneously a disease that resembles myeloma, a number of cell lines were established, and 5-TGM1 is one of those. So I have already... uh, transduce these cells and create a 5TGM1 cells that express uh, the stable track of flag, full-length Robo-1, the delta cytosolic uh, Robo-1 isoform, and the cytosolic only isoform. So all these cell lines are already. The plan is to IV inject them Uh, into the the strain of the mice, which are syngenic to the cell line, and then assess the tumor burden via uh, um, bioluminescence, which is a well-established way to follow these mice. As you can see here, the mouse is really quite something. I mean, uh, if you inject cells that are, uh, you know, even there are wild-type cells, By day 10, post intravenous injection, you start seeing bioluminescence. And generally, by two to three weeks, the tumor burden is very significant and visible on the bioluminescence scan, as well as week three and four. By week four, these mice are generally moribund and they need to be sacrificed. So this mouse model provides the opportunity to follow the acceleration or not of tumor growth by just manipulating the Robo1 gene X vivo and then injecting into a syngenic mouse in vivo. So with that, I have told you everything I wanted to uh, and that I had actually on this project going. I have a number of people that I need to acknowledge. Uh, First off, my mentor, Ken Anderson at the Dana-Farber, who has been uh, a great leader and companion, as we have walked through the Robo1 uh, experience, uh, Peter Charneski at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, uh, who has helped with the molecular cloning part. The group of Irene Grobriel for the animals experiment. Ruben Carrasco for the immunohistochemistry part. The people at the flow cytometry were now bodies, I'm there all the time. I'm crisping everything right now. <laughs> so they know me very well. And they were incredibly patient with very frustrating times where efficiency of transfection was not that great. And finally, the 2D uh, at the Lurie Family Imaging Center will perform the PET-CT studies on the, on the mouse model, which were really instrumental in calculating the tumor volume and really derived substantial data from the in vivo experiment. Finally, I am the recipient of a number of grants that have supported this project. Uh, first off, uh, the ASH Research Training Award for Fellows, then the International Myeloma Foundation, and most recently I was awarded uh, a Damon Ryan Cancer Research Foundation grant as a physician scientist who's going to support me for the next four years. And with that, I'll be happy to take all your questions. Thank you.
0: I forgot to mention at the international, which you didn't say they probably got the same project but it also what American Cancer Society or AACR and the former society Yes, it did. which unfortunately did not keep
1: right no. <laughs> any takers yes
0: so are there any Robo-1 neutralizing antibodies or any molecules that you can use to uh, explore it as a target rather
1: than having to knock it out Yes, so there is, um, there has been actually a radio conjugated monoclonal antibody that has been preclinically validated in a uh, murine model of solid cancer. Uh, these were hepatocellular carcinoma and, uh, and non-small cell lung cancer. Uh, and uh, and they do block the pathway, so they engage the receptor and make it impossible for a sleep to bind. There has also been uh, uh, reports in the literature of using excess of the extracellular domain of Robo1, just a soluble part of it, not transmembrane bound, uh, which probably works at the, as a decoy receptor and would just impair the pathway by absorbing all this leaf that is around and then impairing the actual intracellular uh, signal transduction. So there are ways that uh, you can um, think of what happens if you inhibit the pathway at the phenotypic uh, level. So what happens in growth and so. The part that I was uh, really interested in and I really wanted to figure it out is what happened in the intracellular domain and are, which are the signaling molecules that are responsible for uh, for this phenotype, which was quite surprising to be honest with you. And, uh, and so for that matter, I just decided to do all the knockout and add back so that I will have a clean system to study the signal transaction pathway. Yes? Great talk. My CNS disease yes. friend. Yes, you're Robo, there it is. I thought about you yesterday. The one is uh, yep. expressed in gliomas. Obviously, Very much. Um, so there is a target, microRNA 21a. Yes. It wipes out the That's true. And that decreases tumorigenesis and invasiveness, but yes. it's just in gliomas. I don't. It is I don't probably. I don't know much about gliomas. Yeah, so I, I thought to look at that, because the question that, that I have is um, why, right, ROBO1 is overexpressed in myeloma. I mean, the gene is not mutated, right? There is no overexpression of the gene. There are no translocation that explain at the genomic level this very increased level of expression. So most likely, this is epigenetic regulation. And, uh, and this is related to microRNA up or down, uh, depending on, on the target, but definitely ROBO1 is- been described to be primarily regulated at the epigenetic level. So I did order the mycoronate. <laughs> I, um, I didn't have enough hands to go down there, but I think it is an important point to at least uh, give some sort of explanation of how you get to this level of expression. So, so the, um, the question I have, it wasn't just a comment about down- <laughs> Sorry. But <laughs> the question I have is, do you see some kind of a differentiated um, phenotype when you knock out robo 1, you know, you had trouble getting lines. Mm-hmm. Because when we, I've done this, I actually knocked out uh, 218 mm-hmm. years ago, and we started seeing differentiated cells. So, the a collaborator at UCSF who followed up on this, and we start seeing sort of neuronal kind of. Sprouting? Mm-hmm. And I wonder whether you, is that something which. So phenotypically, um, these cells don't look very different. The the lines that I have already established, the CRISPR knockout and the ADBAC, if you look at them under the microscope, they don't look very different one to another. I have checked a number of surface expression markers, primarily CD138, and they do retain CD138 expression, so they do not appear to de-differentiate. Uh, at least, you know, based on uh, on just a scant immunophenotyping that I have done. Uh, but nothing I would say uh, that, that you just say, wow, you know, this is very different one from another. So no. The other thing is that I take the CRISPR knockout with, uh, you know, with a grain of salt because it doesn't tell me anything as far as the functional relevance of the gene because the lines that I have uh, established that don't have Robo-1 and they're alive uh, they're evidently not relying on the Robo-1 to survive, right? So for me the CRISPR was a way to study the pathway at the biochemistry level and just get it off and get it back with a flag because that's what I needed to do IP aspect, because the Native IP was just not, not good enough as far as resolution. Uh, but I think the only thing that I can derive from the CRISPR experience is that cell lines in myeloma can survive when they're completely ablated from this protein, which is not surprising. And it's probably true for many things. But as far as functional relevance, I go more by the shRNA experience, which was really clear cut myeloma versus others. And even the SHY5, which is a neuroblastoma cell lines, didn't suffer at all by the lack of ROBO1, despite very high expression. So that tells me that there is some functional relevance, and obviously the in vivo studies too. That, that answer actually
0: got the question. I was thinking, is <clears you're throat> suggesting that it's a
1: sort of a functional redundancy, they don't need ROBO1. Mm-hmm. Does
0: that
1: make it a good therapy? Well, it makes it as good as any else, uh, because uh, <laughs> I, uh, I dare you to find me one that will kill cancer cells and leave no others. So that has been the experience of BCR-ABLE right, for CML, which is great, because that's the one driver mutation gene that these cells need to survive. Uh, Myeloma is incredibly genomically complex, and and, as you know very well, you know from cytogenetics to whole genome sequencing, these cells are very heterogeneous. So redundancy for me is not an absolute, uh, oh no, we should not go down this pathway. Uh, Otherwise, many of the drugs we have right now in myeloma, we would have never had. Uh, What I think makes me wonder is that most likely the transgenic mouse was not will not be successful. I'm pretty sure about that. I think this is not a driver gene that if you overexpress it you get the disease, and if you knock it out you don't have it. I think it's something that the cells acquire probably later, uh, in the process of surviving the bone marrow microenvironment, rather than a, an event that is very early on in the pathogenesis. Um, so with that, you know, it gives you the impression that probably this is not going to be the uh, solution for myeloma. Uh, and it's going to probably just be something that it would be worthwhile investigating. Um, the other thing is that I would not really target the Robo1 in itself with a blocking antibody because uh, there is a chance that you may induce uh, oncogenesis in other tissue, right? Because the, the, uh, the mouse model that was developed in England, the one that was knocked out for Robo1, uh, mono knockout. Um, they did have lymphoma. They did have small cell lung cancer. So, these animals that don't have an allele of Robo1, they're prone to develop solid malignancies. So, I think we need to target, if anything, this pathway much lower on. And you worried about second tumors in patients who are over Well, you'd be surprised, uh, but this has become now a major issue, right, in in myeloma because the life expectancy of our patient has so profoundly increased, you know, that the bar is higher and higher. And lenalidomide, so Revlimin, was under scrutiny because of modest increase in incidence of second primary cancer, right, in the post-transplant setting. In a population where you may say, well, you have a lethal cancer, Why do you care? Well, we do care because this patient may live 10 or 15 years, and some of them are not 69. Uh, I mean, I have 30 years old people, right? So before you commit them to a chance of having a second malignancy from a disease that you can treat with different therapies, you should probably try to minimize the chance of second primary malignancies. Yes? Yes. (laughs) My, yes. <laughs> might be really question, um, but I'm just interested
0: if you know just some something. more about the epigenetic factors that cause enough regulation of R1 in
1: multiple myeloma. Right, so we were just uh, talking about this microRNA 218. Yeah. So that's a good target, I think, and uh, and it has been a microRNA that has been reported in the literature uh, to be altered uh, in myeloma. Now, what has been shown about this microRNA and myeloma is that these microRNAs, in myeloma, samples, and the reason why it was thought to be functionally relevant is because the target of the microRNA appears to be MYC, okay, CMYC in myeloma, which is a big deal. So it may be difficult to just split apart and uh, and just the convolute, okay, well, how much is due to MYC and how much is due to ROBO? Certainly, I have knockout cells right now for Robo, so that would be an easy fix, uh, and just see if by altering the microRNA in wild type versus knockout cells, uh, you know you still have the same phenotype, in which case you may see, okay, this is all MIC driven or not. Uh, so that is the best candidate microRNA. There are a couple more. Uh, in fact, the lead2 genes contain a microRNA that targets Robo. So this appears to be a feedback loop between these two genes. Um, but that I checked for it and it didn't seem to be altered at all, so the 218 I think is the best bet. Yeah. Yay! If <laughs>
0: you were, you know, few years down the road,
1: um, to be able to develop a drug, a drugable, you know,
0: find Robo as a drugable target
1: and develop an actual small molecule in anybody, whatever against it, what do you think you would combine with it or would you expect it to have activity by itself? So that's a very interesting question. Uh, I think beyond the fact that, as I said, I would probably go down farther in the pathway and just not try to target robot directly, uh, I think uh, I envision this being something that we may think of in extramedullary disease or when we look at uh, dissemination into the, the marrow space or the bone space. And and perhaps this may be something that could even be relevant as far as preventing bone events just by decreasing the chance of the mobility of these cells. So I see this more of maybe moving towards a supportive therapy for direct cytotoxic uh, therapy against myeloma. However, you know, I, when I started looking at this, I was not expecting like any survival uh, effect or any, any direct you know proliferation effect, but there seems to be something here the beyond the adhesion part that appears to be really related to the capability of cells of proliferating and, and surviving in the context of the bone marrow space. Uh, so there may be an opportunity to just have a direct target against the myeloma cells in themselves.
0: Why do
1: 293 cells express such kinds of problems? So ROBO1 and 2 as well, they have uh, they are key uh, gene drivers of epithelial differentiation. Uh, and so 293T being in, uh, an epithelial renal epithelial cells, uh, that was well established as the kind of primary control for ROBO1 expression. But that's all related to the kidney development and kidney embryogenesis. All righty. Thank you very much.